Hello and welcome to episode two of the Seven Sage podcast. My name is JY Ping, and on today's episode, you'll be hearing my conversation with David, who is known as Accounts Playable on Seven Sage. David and I spoke in January of 2018. We talked about how he used the Seven Sage curriculum to improve from his diagnostic score of somewhere in the low 150s to his ultimate LSAT score of 174. The Seven Sagers present、uh, for the live version of this conversation asked many、uh, very detailed questions about how he improved certain sections, specific strategies that he employed. But I think perhaps what you might find most interesting is the fact that David、uh, applied to law school in two separate cycles. It worked out well for him because he is now a one L at Harvard, but he did not get into HLS on his first application. And we talk quite a bit about what it's like to apply in two separate cycles and the kinds of things you have to do to maximize your chances. So I hope you'll enjoy the conversation. Without further ado, I give you David, accounts playable.、Uh, welcome, everyone. This is、uh, the AMA slash Q and A with David Brown, also known as Accounts Playable. Um, so we're gonna spend about an hour and a half today、uh, answering your questions, any questions you might have. To get started, I think、uh, David, maybe maybe we can just have you tell us a little bit about yourself. Yes.、Yeah, so、uh, as JY said,、uh, my, my name is David.、Uh, accounts playable on the forum, and I took the June. I took the LSAT twice,、um, and the most recent LSAT I took was the was the June twenty sixteen test, and I was lucky enough to score a. A 174.、Um, I'm a little unique in the in the law school admissions process in that I applied to law schools last cycle,、um, and then you know I got、uh, some acceptances, some rejections,、um, and then I decided for a variety of reasons, which I have a feeling、uh, I'll get into with some questions tonight about about why I did that.、Uh, I decided to reapply again this cycle, and so far it's.、Uh, Uh, just kind of short,、uh, short run. The the reapplying has not been a detriment.、Uh, so something to consider. Something we can talk about later today.、Um, I went through the seven stage curriculum,、uh, so I'm a I'm a seven stage curriculum uh, alum. Uh, I owe a ton, a ton, a ton of things to seven stage and the community and JY in particular for for helping me through the LSAT and 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 really my score improvement from my first LSAT. To my second LSAT,、uh, really was attributed to 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 the curriculum and and really the the great community that Seven Sage offers.、Um, so again, something else we can talk about later. Just you know how to use the curriculum and things like that, just to kind of give、uh, some people some some things to think about with、uh, what to ask. But、um, that's kind of a little bit of background, a little bit of background on myself.、Um, I'll throw it back to JY if he wants to add anything else, and then we get started. Uh, yeah, I think maybe let's first talk about.、Um, sorry, I'm I'm just trying to mute everybody who's who's joining because I think I heard some background noise. But、um, first, I wanted I wanted you to talk about、uh, your LSAT score.、Um, what did you start with?、Um, how much did you improve your first time? What did you do different?、Um, specifically, like. Yeah, like what? What did you do on the seventh stage that was different that helped you get your one seventy four? Yeah, so、um, my LSAT journey、uh, was a little bit unique, and and I talk about it. I actually did a webinar 
for Seven Sage uh, back in, I can't believe it's almost, it's, it's over a year, back in October of 2016, I did a webinar that, that kind of touched a little bit about sort of my LSAT journey and ways to study right. So I recommend uh, if, if you guys have the time to, to go and watch that. But sort of the, the general gist of, of sort of my story was I, I took a diagnostic test um, and I score, I didn't really take a true diagnostic test, but if, but if I had to guess, I, I guess it was in the maybe high 140s, maybe low 150s, somewhere around there. So I, I certainly didn't come to the LSAT with a, uh, with really a, a leg up on any, on anything. I, I'd never taken a logic course or anything like that in college. And so I really started at, um, at, at sort of ground zero. Um, and sort of that summer, uh, when I first started studying for the LSAT, I, I sort of did everything sort of the wrong way. Like I, I, I really breezed through practice tests without really sufficiently reviewing them. I, I rushed a lot and I sort of deluded myself into thinking I was, I was really ready to take the test. And um, surprise, surprise, I took, I took the September 2014, uh, 20, uh, uh, 2014 test. I think it was the 2014 test. Yeah, September 2014 test. And I scored a 161. And given just sort of my expectations, given to where I wanted to test, it, it just wasn't a reflection of, of what I thought my ability was. And so I took a step back and sort of reevaluated how I approached the test. Um, I got a lot more active with Seven Sage. Um, and I sort of took that year, uh, oh, I was in my master's program and I finished my master's, didn't look anything for the LSAT. And sort of that summer after my master's degree, I really hit Seven Sage hard. And, and one core key thing I did was really get, in, get involved. I, I would try to make comments on, try to type out comments on almost every video in the core curriculum. Uh, I tried to, to ask any question I had right in the forums. Uh, when it came to a video explanation during my blind review, if I, if I didn't feel 100% or close to it about a question, I would type out an explanation, you know, um, you know for logical reasoning. I would start with the paraphrase of, of my argument. I would get into uh, what I think the answer should be. Then I would analyze the answer choices and I would say, this is why I selected this. So I, I spent probably most of my prep um, really during the, it, most of my blind review process, in fact, uh, uh, typing out explanation after explanation after explanation. And it really solidified the reasoning uh, that the LSAT has in my brain. It, it, it solidified um, uh, sort of the testing techniques, how to approach problems in a similar way. Um, and I'd say that was, that was one big, big aspect of my improvement was, uh, was sitting there and typing out, typing out explanations. And I, and, and doing that, uh, help me help me score that 174 in June. Yeah, I I've read a lot of your explanations, and um, I think it feels to me like at, at times they were they were cathartic as well. Um, it, it gets yeah. kind of emotional <laughs> when you when you're struggling with uh, uh, some of these questions. Yeah, I get yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, uh, and and sometimes and, and you know sometimes that's good. Like I, I had a. Uh, not related to the LSAT, but um, uh, but when I was a uh, a kid, uh, uh, like I was very much involved in, in sports, and I had like a coach, um, my my soccer coach, and I was and I was one of those you know, you know, really competitive you know kids when it came to when it came to soccer and swimming and all that, and you know if I, I didn't win, yeah, I'd, I'd get mad, and so what one time, uh, uh, coach pulled me aside and he goes, you know what, it's fine to get mad. 
right? What's not fine is to get mad and then not do anything about it. And at the, it's something I kind of took to heart. And it's something that to sort of in my reflection about the LSAT was, you know what, it's fine to get mad with the test, right? It's going to happen. It's inevitable. You're going to you're going to look at a question, the answer to it, you're going to pick answer choice B, the correct answer is going to be answer choice C, and you're just going to look at it and go, what, what are they talking about? And there's no what possible way that's the right answer, and I'm right, yada, yada, yada. But that's that's sort of, that's, that's half of it, right? The other half of it is then having to come to the realization that, okay, you're wrong here, right? And how do you improve? And for me, it was typing out an explanation. And, and yeah, showing the sort of pathos and the emotion sometimes in the in the in the not so good day was was yeah it was it was um relaxing sometimes but it still was a mechanism to improve because i still had to sit there and, and analyze all right there was an error in my reasoning here what am i going to do about it right and and that was sort of that was sort of my check against myself um to, that was the check against myself to get you know complacent or lazy because it's so easy uh and i was definitely guilty of this early in my prep of, of just, oh yeah, the answer, I picked B, the answer choice is C. Okay, that's good, I'm moving on. Without spending the time to sit there and reflect on the question and forcing, quote unquote, forcing myself to type out an explanation made me uh, really take a step back and, and, and analyze my reason, right? Analyze my thought process. And, if, and it made it so much easier to find mistakes and it made it so much easier to go back and review because with every, with every um, typed out explanation was was a snapshot in time of my reasoning at one point. And right. there were tons of times where I would redo questions and I'd go, man, I what did I how did I think about this question two months ago? And I'd have a I'd have a document. I'd have a I'd have a record of it. And I can go back and, and see, you know, improvement. You know, hey, I missed this question two months ago, but I got this question correct now. And you can look at that delta, like, hey, you know, I was totally off base two months ago, and, and, and now I'm not. And the explanations really, really helped with that process. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, I think, I think just such a great way to um, safeguard against our tendencies to fool ourselves. Um, yeah. As, you know, when yep. you're reviewing and you generally, if you don't write anything out or type anything out, um, or if you're not reviewing or if you're not being forced to explain the question to someone else, you don't have any guardrails. You kind of just, you kind of just look at the question and you feel like, okay, well, I get it, but do yeah. you really get it? You know, like, are, are you not going to make the same mistake again? That's the important. Those are the important questions, right? Because it doesn't matter if you got this question right. You know, it's a prep test. Yeah, it doesn't it, count. Yeah, exactly. The, the The important part is is sort of minimizing the same mistake, you know, minimizing the number of times you make the same mistake twice. Right. Right. And, yeah. And, you know, and, and again, we're, we're all human. We're all going to sometimes we're going to make the same mistakes again sometimes. But but that was one one sort of if there was ever a benefit to and again, I'm not advocating for this at all. But if there ever was a benefit for for breezing through the prep test and, and quote, wasting the prep test like I did when I first started, it was um, when I had to rely a lot on my retakes one sort of benefit that that actually had on my blind review was I could compare what my what my first score was uh, my sort of fresh test score what fresh take score was versus what my retake score was and if I found that I was missing the same questions on mm -hmm. that second time I knew I hadn't really really um, analyzed the, the test that first time 
you know, sufficiently. I knew that there was was ways to improve. So, you know, definitely don't waste your prep tests because they are, you know, I know there's 80 something now, but, but they really are a precious commodity to be sort of savored and, and, uh, and, and taken when, when their value add to take them and when they're sufficiently reviewed. But, but just because you've used all of your prep tests, it's, it's, it's not damning, right? Yeah. You know, there was never a single prep test I took where I got every single question right, you know, on, on a retake, right? And that was always, and I always looked at it as an opportunity going, okay, there's something, even on this, re, even on this retake test, um, I can learn something. You know, I yeah. missed this question again. You know, I not only missed it the first time when I saw it on Fresh Eyes, I missed it again, right, after I'd even spent all that time reviewing it. And then even tests I took three times. You know, sometimes I would miss a question a third time. And there was always something something to sort of drill down further with with, with, any, with any test. And if you can minimize the mistakes, uh, the same mistake, uh, if you can minimize the number of times you do, you do the same mistake uh, twice, the better off you're just going to be. And, and the whole blind review process and typing out explanations I think is – at least for me, it was the most efficient way I could sort of identify those sorts of errors and, and try to correct them long term. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good. Uh, I hadn't uh, thought of it that way, but it's uh, what you just mentioned is a very good way to um, to 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 find out how effective your blind review was, right? Which is yeah. to just wait a long wait a couple months, like take the same test again, so it's a retake. And see how many questions you miss, right? Like, I mean, yeah. theoretically, you should be getting a one eight because you blind yeah. reviewed everything. You already know the answers. You supposedly worked out all the logic, right? So you're not you're not just like memorizing a string of letters, right? Yeah. Um, plus, exactly. it's been like a long time, so it's like you're you're really not going to remember. So yeah, that's a really good. And then if if there are any you know faults in the way you think about certain things, it'll show up on the retake, and those those are going to be glaring faults right because yeah yeah exactly because that, that was the way i always looked at it was you know missing missing a question on a retake right or missing a question on say a third take you know <laughs> yeah. uh, you know that 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 was that that sort of would would create its own priority you know yeah. I, uh, a lot of a lot of sort of people that that i talked to um you know on seven sage or, or just about the l set in general a, a, a constant in almost uh Almost everybody's going to ask the, ask the question at some point in their prep, what do I prioritize, right? Do I prioritize games? Do I prioritize uh, my, my state of mind? Do I prioritize, you know, logical reasoning? And, and I think the answer is mostly different. It's going to be different for, for pretty much everybody. But if you're just looking at it from, I think, the, just a straight data perspective on at the end of the day, we, the whole point of the LSAT is you got to get questions right. And if you if you don't know where to sort of start, and you're far enough along in your prep where you're taking uh, prep tests, you're taking retakes of prep tests, a really good place to start is is look or is looking at those areas where you've made the same mistake again. You know that that creates its own sort of internal priority where, hey, I missed question five on, on section two twice. You know I missed it two months ago. I blind reviewed it, and then now two months later, when I retook it, I missed it again. You know, and that's a really good starting point, I think, when when it comes to what you should maybe drill or trying to to do a little meta analysis. I'm like, okay, am, am I really taking the test or reviewing in an efficient manner? And I, I think that that sort of takes you know a, a, a higher priority than than a lot of other things, right? It's all about value add, and yeah. and if you're making the same mistake twice, 
that to me is a very valuable um, it's very valuable to spend your time trying to correct that as opposed to maybe other things where you, you know, sort of lower priority items, if, they, yeah. if that sort of makes sense. Yeah, it does. It does. And it's because, uh, you, you know, you look at a retake, uh, you look at a retake and a retake under reports your errors. Yeah. Right. In other yeah. words, a retake will mask a lot of your Weaknesses because it's a retake because he has seen the seen the test before and the seen the logic before who knows if the logic showed up in a different You know the same logic, but this time it's about um, I don't know a sailing ship right versus Previously it was about a bus like who knows if you recognize it so a retake only masks errors and under reports errors so If that's in that context an error arises then you know to take that error very very seriously Yeah um, yeah, that's good. That's that's really good. Uh, that that is something. I'm glad you brought that up because a lot of people do say like, you know, unfortunately they don't they they do burn through a lot of prep tests uh, too quickly and they end up having just a handful of prep tests, uh, fresh prep tests left. So uh, retakes are helpful for that. Um, yeah. I, I I have and, a and, yeah sorry. And, go ahead. Uh, you know, the thing about the, the the prep tests is is I think a a common sentiment that sentiment that I and I that I find talking with people is, oh my God, you're so screwed if you, if all you have are retakes. And that's, that's, that's just not, that's just patently false, yeah. right? And it's, again, like the retakes are, are a really good gauge of, okay, am I making the same mistake twice? And if so, okay, that's a whole priority. And we, and we sort of just mm -hmm. talked about that, but it's mm -hmm. also, they're also really good practice, right? To, to, to test, right? Are you, are you taking the test the same way test to test? You know, they're also really good. Uh, retakes are really good to to experiment a little bit. You know, so there was always, you know, yeah. In an ideal world, when I first started studying for the LSAT, would I have saved maybe ten or twenty uh, prep tests that I would have looked at um, that I would have saved in case I needed to retake? Of, of course I would. But you know, I didn't know what I was doing at first, and and I didn't do that. But I never felt I was at a huge disadvantage. Um, uh, when I was retaking them, despite, you know, sometimes not, ha you know, occasionally not having maybe the best gauge of what my score was, mm -hmm. right? Because, because Jay was right. You know, if you, when you retake a test, your score is going to be inflated and, and how, how indicative of, uh, you know, how, how much the, that score inflation is, you know, might be a matter of debate, but it was, but it's at least inflated. And so it's hard sometimes to gauge, uh, you know, a lot of useful information about your, your retake score. But I always felt that the blind review was what the blind review process on the retake was was the bulk of the learning process. So yeah. even if I didn't feel like I could trust my score, I felt like I could trust what I was doing in blind review with with sort of my method of blind review, um, where I was still learning a lot and I could see that tangible and you know that improvement, you know, by comparing uh, a written explanation I had two months ago versus an explanation that I just that I that I a new explanation that I wrote. Um, and I can compare them, right? And I can yeah. look and see, okay, how have I improved? And and that to me was was enough to know uh, when I was sort of ready to take the LSAT. You know, I, I delayed taking the LSAT, you know, over the course of when I got back into studying in in that August, that August when I when I started studying again after my masters. Um, and one big reason why I kept postponing it was because I could see, I couldn't, you know, I couldn't see enough of a change between where I was testing and where I was currently testing. And then it got to the point to where, okay, yeah, I think I'm ready to go. 
and and I, I killed it. I was I was correct in that assessment, and mm-hmm. and and, the, and I didn't really feel like I was ever at a, at a huge disadvantage with with relying mostly on retakes. Yeah, yeah. Um, ju- just uh, in case anyone leaves this conversation uh, with with a slightly altered message, I just want to clarify: it's like it's still not a it's not the best situation to be in. Yeah, it's to, definitely to less. Without, than yeah, it's less. It's like worse than if you have fresh, fresh prep tests. So, um, it's yeah. not just like yeah, it's not there. And, and yeah, yeah. JY is absolutely right. You you definitely you definitely don't want to burn through your prep tests. Like it, it definitely was, you know, an issue that I couldn't I couldn't rely I very I couldn't reliably figure out my score that often because when because when I when I started back into 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 uh, studying for the LSAT. Um, I think I only had about five or six. I, I could be off by it. I, I need to sit and think about it. Uh, but I think I only had roughly about five like fresh tests. So they were very, very precious to me. Like when I would, when I would take, when I needed to take a fresh test, it needed to be like, yeah, I need to know what my score is uh, so I can see where my improvement is, right? Where my improvement was. And, but in between them, when it was sort of like, all right, every, you know, for four weeks, take retakes and then take, you know, you know, four, take four tests, then a, then a fresh test, take four tests and a fresh test. I felt like those, you know, those four in between, there still was a lot I was, I was learning. And, and that's kind of where my, where I, I'm sort of uh, accentuating right at that point is, you know, those, those four tests in between maybe the, the fresh tests that I was taking, I still was learning a ton about the test. I was learning a ton about myself. I was learning a ton about you know, was I employing the right timing strategy? Was I addressing these questions correctly? Was I was I really doing the blind review the right way? And that helped me a lot. Um, that helped me prepare myself for my fresh test because I could use those retakes also to experiment a little bit to figure out right can I can I make an efficiency gain here an efficiency gain here? Um, and so that's kind of what I mean where I didn't feel like I was at a, at a disadvantage from that standpoint. Now, best case scenario is you're sort of perpetually taking fresh tests at a rate that 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 it's uh that you're not sort of wasting them right so retakes are good i think intermittently throughout the 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 study process right i don't i don't really think every test you should take needs to be sort of fresh tests and i think you should also take 10 or 15 if you have access to all the exams put them aside put them under your mattress in case you know the world falls apart and you need to retake once or twice you still have a healthy healthy set of fresh exam. But if that's not you, like, don't feel like you're totally screwed, right? If you're just relying on retakes, because as evidenced by me, that, that, that wasn't the case, especially if you, if you review them correctly. And if you, um, if you really analyze what you're, what you're doing and doing with them the right way, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, it does. Um, if no, if, if people here aren't familiar with accounts playables, um, write-ups underneath the lessons, and, and not just the core curriculum lessons, but also the video explanation lessons. I highly encourage you guys to, um, you know, let's say you just took prep test 47 and you're blind reviewing and then you're watching the videos. I, I highly recommend you scroll through the comments to find uh, David's comments. They're very well written, very well thought out. Um, and, and more than that, I think it's an ex- it's it's just exemplary of what um, what everyone should be doing as, as well, right? Like reading other people's comments is one thing, but it's, it's quite another to 
to force yourself to write your own. You know, we mentioned this yeah. earlier. They're guardrails against your inclination, against your natural tendency to kind of be lazy and fool yourself into thinking that you get it. Right. Like I, you know, I, I don't write. I don't write it out. I don't write out explanations very much, but um, obviously I, I make video explanations and sometimes I host uh, blind review calls. And like part of the motivation for those things is precisely to um, put guardrails against my own tendencies to, to be lazy, right? Like I'll, I'll take a prep test and I'll just, you know, I'll be like, yeah, I think I get it. And then like through, through talking to other people or through having to, you know, plan out a video lesson, I realized, oh, there's actually a lot more to this answer choice that I just so offhandedly dismissed or I, I thought was so obvious, right? There's a lot more subtlety to um, this this particular question. So um, that's the kind of, like, that's the kind of depth of understanding. That's the kind of, like, juice you can squeeze out of a question um, yeah. before, like, just kind of discarding it and moving on. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, okay, so you guys should definitely feel free to type in your questions in the chat box. I'll just uh, I'll call on you guys uh, to to ask. Uh, so I think here we have a question from Tyler. Tyler, can you unmute yourself? Yeah. Hey, JY. Hey, David. Hi, Tyler. Hey, Tyler. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Thanks. Um, ready ready for your dogs? <laughs> yes, I am. I, I we I'm so used to losing. I, I it doesn't matter. We're here. Yeah, I'll take the moment. <laughs> um, I know most people don't care because it's an SEC final, but that's all right. Thanks for asking. Hey, um, one thing that you're, I've heard you talk about in the past about when you were actually sitting down to do, do the blonde review process, from what I have done in the study group calls and everything else, a lot of people will go through and do specifically LR straight through and do a bomb review of each question. And if I remember correctly, I've heard you mention that you did it a different way. Yeah, so you're talking about, uh, so I, you know what, I can just explain. I, I'll just go through my blind review. Um, yeah, uh, I don't want to speak the turn because I liked how you did it. Yeah, I'll just, I'll just, yeah, I'll just, I'll just restate it. Uh, so I, I think I'll, I'll go, um, I'll probably say too much, but um, I'll just, I'll just explain my whole blind review process. So. Um, I never, I tried not to take, um, more than one exam a week, um, because I, I, I was, I, I tried at some, I tried at some point taking three and then I was like, oh my God, three is way too many. That didn't last very long. Then I went back down to two and I don't, I didn't think I could blind review two in a week. Um, so I, I tried only to take one exam a week and I, uh, once it became apparent, I was going to take the the June test, which is, which is one o'clock on a Monday. Uh, at least it was when I, when I took it, I think that's still the case, but I would, I would do my best to take the exam, uh, that on a Monday at one o'clock, I try to wake up, you know, eat my breakfast, you know, sort of do the things I was going to do on test day. I, I would try to make my Monday just like replicate test day. Um, and so I would start my test at one. I would take the test, um, from I don't know one to four, one to five, whatever. How long it ever, how long it took. I would try to take a five-section test um, to sort of test my endurance and all that. And that would that would that would be the only thing I would do Monday. Just take the test, right? And afterwards, I would go to the gym, have a martini, relax, right, watch a movie or something. Because I'd just be so burnt out taking the test, and I just couldn't get myself to do any review afterwards. 
Um, and so Tuesday, uh, Tuesday through Thursday was my blindery. Um, and I would do about, you know, I would try to do maybe two sections a day. Um, and it didn't really matter which two sections I did. I sometimes would mix it up. So sometimes I would do LR and games. Sometimes I do reading comp and games. Sometimes I do LR and reading comp. It just, it doesn't really matter as much. Um, and so I would just do two sections a day. Um, and for my, uh, blind review process for games, I would print out, um, a fresh section of the games and I would, uh, redo the game, uh, sort of one at a time. So I would have to say, so in other words, I'd have game one and I'd have like maybe my phone right next to me and I hit the stopwatch on my phone. And so I would time myself, um, uh, you know, time myself, how long did I spend up front jotting down my rules, making my master game board, et cetera. And then once I was sort of done with that, I would pause my timer, jot down the time on my, on my piece of paper. And then I would go into the, go into the, the questions and I would then jot down, you know, how long did I spend as a bulk on, on all of the questions. Um, and once I was done with that first game, I would then check my answers, right? Just for that one game. And I would then, after I checked my answers, I would watch JY's video, uh, to see, okay, did I approach the game correctly? Or did he say something in the video that I missed? Was there some inference that I missed? So I'd always like to sort of check my work with JY's game video. Um, and I would do this even on, even on games that I, that I, um, uh, that I got hundred percent correct because maybe there was some, something I missed, right? Some inference I should have made and didn't, right? And maybe it cost me 30 seconds somewhere. Um, so I always, I always very religiously watched, uh, uh, JY's videos, uh, for, for pretty much every section as, as you'll sort of, you'll sort of see as I explain my other two sections too, but, but that was sort of my logic on that. And any game that gave me a problem and I defined problem in the most liberal sense that I missed a question or I was over time, or I just thought it was a really unique or weird game. You know, some of the games in, uh, between prep tests one and 35 are kind of weird. And, and by the time I was, I was scheduled to take the June test, you know, a couple tests had kind of come back and, and, and asked, uh, you know, sort of weird game types. And I felt like it was sort of valuable to sort of go back and practice those. So any, so any sort of game that I felt any modicum of, of trouble, I'd put it in an Excel spreadsheet and I would try to recycle through that Excel spreadsheet maybe once every two weeks, right? So as the sheet got, as the spreadsheet got longer with, with, the, with the game lists in it, I would just try to print off and in my sort of free time, if I was at a, uh, you know, a doctor's office or I was at the DMV or whatever, I'd maybe whip out my uh, piece of paper and I'd try to, if I had 10 minutes, I'd do a game, right? So that was sort of my, my games blind review process. Um, my logical reasoning process, uh, what I would do is um, uh, I would go through the questions I, I circled uh, during the, during the test. And I would try to keep my circles. I would, I, I was never very good at this and I, I'll admit that, but I, I try, I would try to sort of limit my circles, but I always found myself very underconfident and that I was circ I think I tended to circle questions way too many questions than I maybe should have. Um, but I, you know, that was sort of something I, you know, I, I tried to correct over the long term, and, and I maybe could have done a, a bit better job doing it, uh, when I was studying, but, but, you know, be that as it may, during my blind review, I would go through the questions that I circled. And so say I circled question five, right? I would start with question five. I would redo the question from scratch, right? And I would, you know, pick my answer 
Not at all. I'm not. And again, I'm not looking at my my original take. I'm, I sort of have a new, fresh set of this too. I, I do question five again, and then I would sit there and I would type out an explanation. So before I've done any sort of analysis on whether the question was correct or incorrect, I would type out my explanation, right? And you can kind of use my my explanations template um, uh, on on so many questions, you know, throughout the, throughout the curriculum and throughout the uh, 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 the prep test uh, in the curriculum. And after I was done typing out my explanation, I then check my answer and watch JY's video. Sort of for the same reason that I would, um, I'd, I'd do that for the games to see, okay, you know, was there something I missed, right? How did JY interpret it? Or, or was there a comment in the, in the, in, already in the logical reasoning section? I sometimes read those too. Um, and I would do that for every question I circled. And then once I did that, I would then check that section, right? So then I would look and see, okay, were there any questions that I missed um, that I hadn't circled, right? Because I was checking questions, right? I was checking my circled questions as I was going along, right? But then at the end of that section, I didn't go back and I'd see, okay, say I missed question 17 and I hadn't circled 17. I then go and try to address that um, right then and there because I'm sort of in the, I was in the logical reasoning mindset. And I would do it sort of in the same way as I had done my other ones, except I was a little bit more, um, uh, a little bit more uh, uh, strict with myself on questions that I missed and hadn't circled. I'd maybe I would spend much more, a lot more time on those because you know they were questions that that had fooled me, you know, sort of you know two times, right? If you, you know, if you circle a question, you kind of have a feeling that maybe I missed it. I sort of am uneasy about it, but you know, a question I hadn't circled, you know, was something that just flat out fooled me. And so I would try to spend a lot of time on those if if those ever uh, if those ever arose. Um, and then finally, for my reading comprehension, uh, I would I would blind review it a, a lot like I would bl blind review games. I would print out a fresh section of reading comprehension. I would look at um, uh, reading you know reading passage one, and I would have my my phone next to me, and I time all right how long did it take me to read the passage, and then I would take a step back, and then I would fill out and if you go to the um, the reading comp sections for I think pretty much every test from like 35 to, to 72 or three or whatever you can kind of see my my summary comment that I make about every every passage between those prep tests and so I encourage all of you to to go and read those and maybe take my uh, my bare bones skeleton and, and use that going forward for your reading comp blind review but I would fill out that template it would be you know what was the summary of paragraph one what was the summary of paragraph two what was the main point of the passage what was my author's tone what were um, what was the reasoning structure of, of the passage? And I would do this all by memory. I would try my best not to look back at the passage because I would try to practice, okay, you know, do I remember I spent three and a half minutes reading this? Do I, can I do, can I answer these sort of structural questions or structural points by memory? And so I'd spend time typing that out. Then I would get into the questions, right? And like games, I'd have my, my phone next to me and I would time how long did it take me to do all of the questions, right? And, um, at the end of that, can I ask a quick, can I ask a yeah, quick follow up in that regard? Yeah. yeah. Thank. You. When you were when you were setting the stopwatch, are you just gauging your internal time clock to make sure that you're watching the time, or are you trying to do it test taking time? Yeah. So, so when I'm, so yes, that's a good question. So for for both the games and for reading comprehension, I was going at the pace that I would go during a. Um, uh, during a regular time section. So it just was so the so in other words, the stop the watch was sort of next to me just so I could just have a, a data point, you know, hit stop and say, okay, how long did that take? Right. If it took 
you know, I tried to, I would try to read the passage in, in really no more than three and a half minutes, um, depending on the passage difficulty. And I would try to try to try to answer the questions in about, you know, three or four minutes, right? You know, depending on the difficulty of the questions, how many questions. And if I found myself like way under or way over, I would kind of note that, and 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 I'll get I'll get to sort of what I would do with this this sort of notes at, at the end. Um, but it was just an extra data point, right? If I if I was you know, really going way over. I, I had some sort of a way over with time. I had some sort of way to sort of, I had evidence of that, right? In other words, because uh, sometimes you can feel like you're going fast. Sometimes you can feel like you're going slow, but you're really not. Um, and and having the, the the watch in front of me for blind review was um, was for helpful helpful for me in that regard. Um, but going back to the to the questions, so I would uh, I'd answer the questions, um, and then at the end of that, I would then take a step back and I would go through the questions again, but this time I would try to justify my answer choice with a line reference. So in other words, I, I've done all of the questions in, in reading comp uh, for that first passage, right? And I've done it, but without looking back at the text, right? Because again, I want to practice my memory. I want to practice, okay, can I answer the questions without going back? Because going back to the passage is such a time sink, right? It, it's something to where you just don't want to do it on your initial read through. Um, but then I would go back and I would look at my line reference. I'd say, okay, I picked answer choice C. Can I really quickly find where maybe answer choice C is, right, in the passage? So say answer choice C is line 27. I'd put a little 27 next to C. So that way when I was when I check my answers, I have some sort of not only my, my sort of gut answer, which wasn't looking at the passage, I also have, okay, this is actual textual line support, right, in case, you know, I need to, type out an explanation for whatever reason. So I would do that for all the questions. Then I would go and I'd watch JY's video of him reading the passage. And again, I would sort of compare that sort of to my type summary. Uh, then I would watch the the video explanations for the questions and I'd be grading them as as he's going along. And any question again that I, that I missed or any question that sort of gave me trouble, I would type out an explanation. And so that would be passage one. And then I would rinse and repeat for passage two, rinse and repeat for passage three, rinse and repeat for passage four. Um, so, I, so that was my blind review from Tuesday through Thursday, um, which were, you know, extensive time, you know, uh, you know, a couple, you know, a few hours a, a day, you know, sort of doing that. And then Friday was sort of my reflection day. I would, I would take the data that I had gathered about um, timing, or if I had recorded a video of myself, you know, taking, taking a section, you know, which also helped me sort of gauge was I, you know, my timing strategy and stuff. And I would use that in you know, and, and ask myself a series of questions like, okay, did I take the test efficiently, right? Do, does my, do, does the video that I took of me taking a logical reasoning section indicate that I had enough time to go back and, and look at the questions I circled? You know, during blind review, you know, the time I was taking, you know, reading the questions and answering the questions, uh, reading the passage, answering the questions, was that efficient, right? And if not, then I would sort of tailor my, um, my drilling strategies to that. The other thing I would ask myself, like, okay, was there anything that just gave me problems, right? Did I, did I, you know, miss, right, two necessary assumption questions, right? Or did I find myself really struggling with weakening questions? Or, man, I hadn't seen an in-out game in forever, and the in-out game in this in this test really gave me gave me issues. Maybe I want to drill, you know, five to ten in-out games today. So I would use my Friday to be sort of my ad hoc. Um, uh, sort of strategic drilling based off this this week's prep test, 
And Saturday was sort of the same thing. Anything I didn't finish Friday, I'd do Saturday. Then I would try to take Sundays off. And then Monday would be um, uh, my next test. Uh, so that was kind of that's kind of it was kind of my blind review process in a nutshell. So I hope that did I answer your question, Tyler. I think you did. <laughs> yeah, I think I did too. So. <laughs> okay, we have a a bunch of questions. Um, yeah. So. Uh, where do we start? Let's see. I'll just start at the top. I'll try to get through all of these questions if, if possible. Um, so someone asked when you, when, where do you start when you're restarting your studies after a long break from studying? Where do I start? Yeah, so I started, um, so after I took the... I think this might be, they might mean like the proverbial you, like where would one start? When oh, like sort of where to, so like if you have like sort of you've taken a break and like where to come yeah. back, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I would say one thing to do is, is take a, take a retake test, right? And maybe even take the last retake, maybe even take a retake of the last prep test you took, right? If, you, if you're in the prep test stage. Um, if you're not, if you're not in the prep test stage, and I would say a really good place to start would just be, you know, back at the at the core curriculum, or or back sort of with the fundamentals. But but if you're if you're sort of already in the re, in the in the prep test stages of your prep, I'd say start with the last test you took and took it or last test you took and take that one again, right? And sort of note differences, right? Because I I think most of the time people take breaks because they're burnt out. And it's because, man, I'm just sick and tired of taking practice tests. I'm just sick and tired of looking at the LSAT, you know, day in and day out for X, Y, Z number of weeks. And sort of picking up where you left off in that regard, I think, can, can sort of really help you solidify where you need to prioritize your, your studies, right? It kind of goes yeah. back to what we said earlier about, you know, if you're doing the retake and you're still missing the same yeah. questions after blind review, that's a really good, you know, in, that's a really good starting point because it's already prioritized for you. Like, hey, I missed question five two times. Question five is a necessary assumption question. Maybe I'm not so hot on necessary assumptions, right? Yeah. Maybe I need to go and review those, right? Or, hey, I missed, uh, um, uh, I did this in-out game on this prep test two months or a month ago or, or three weeks ago, and I just did this, this in-out game again, and I still struggled through it. Maybe that means I'm not too hot on in-out games. Maybe that's a really good place to start, in-out games. You know, so I, I think I think retaking a, a pretty fresh um, exam is a really good place to start because it's already going to be prioritized for you depending on how you do. Right. Yeah. Um, Jack, you asked uh, a couple of questions. Do, is your mic working? Yeah, absolutely. Hi. How are you? Uh, how are you all doing? Doing well. All right, so um, just getting started, um, I wanted to like ask, I'm having trouble trying to find the time and motivation to really sit down and work out. Uh, well, I've taken a cold diagnostic, but like um, starting spring semester, um, obviously I have a full class load. I'm trying to graduate a year early, so I'm taking 16 hours and I'll be graduating in spring and I'm trying to schedule for June and I'm skipping February but I'm just trying to wonder like where I'll be able to find the time to sit down between like school classes homework and an internship 
Yeah. So, so time management. So I would say, I would say right now, so you only get one shot at your undergraduate GPA, right? And I would say, I would say prioritizing stuff with the LSAT is, is for the most part fairly compartmentalized. Like when you're an undergrad, I would recommend get your GPA as high as you can get. Because once you're, once you're out of college, right, and you're, and you're, and you're going to be a young guy, right, because you're, you're going to graduate early. Right. So you're going to have plenty of time to uh, to study for the LSAT after you graduate, if need be. So I would say prioritize your GPA and then anything you can sort of do LSAT wise should kind of be secondary to that. But if you're really hell bent on taking the LSAT in June and taking the LSAT or, or studying for the LSAT while you study, I would I would just budget time. I'd say, you know, I have. I have so many hours in the day. I go to class from say ten to two or whatever. I got to get my, I got to get my get your undergrad homework done first, right? Get your projects done, get your group meetings done first, because again, I think your priority should be your undergrad GPA. But then try to find maybe a two-hour chunk of time, sometime in the day, whether it's before class, whether it's after class, and that two-hour chunk of time just be very very efficient, right? You know go through the course because it sounds like you're, you're just now starting the um you're just now starting your LSAT prep and I think two hours two and a half hours a day of going through the the core curriculum you know reading uh you know uh reading the comments on those videos watching those videos taking notes and getting a really good fundamental as fundamental stuff down by the time uh 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 for the first like say few months of your prep because it's it's January you're going to graduate in May that's that's four months of doing that right and I think that's fine and then I think from uh, maybe let me see April until you see the test is in June April I think two months of of uh, taking prep test after that you know sort of man you know depending on when your finals are I think two months of of practice exams is is pretty good too and uh, you know, taking one or two prep tests a week for, for two months is can be sufficient for a lot of people. So sort of, I, I know I was kind of all over the place on that, but I, I'd say priority should be undergrad GPA. Um, but if you really want to study at the same time, I'd say just budget out two hours a day, right? And just say, okay, just no matter what I'm doing from six to eight or from seven to nine, I'm just going to do LSAT and I'm going to do it right. I'm going to, you know, turn my phone off. I'm going to turn the TV off. And I'm just going to do that and get a really good fundamental, get your fundamentals down, right, while you're an undergrad. And then sort of at the end of the semester, right, before, you know, at the end of the semester, then maybe start prep testing, right? And then, you know, you guys study for finals and all that. And then after finals, get really into the prep testing mode until June. And I think, I think that's probably your best bet. Now, I didn't really address the internship, but, it, but it's sort of the same philosophy there, because once you're... I'm assuming your internship starts um, after you graduate, uh, and you know, kind of do that. You know, you have your full, you have your internship saves from eight to five. Say, okay, from six to uh, wherever at night, I'm taking my prep test, and then the rest of the days of the week, I'm blind reviewing it, et cetera, et cetera. Does that does that make sense, Jack? Yeah, I was going to say that um, the internships uh, in duality with my spring semester, so. I was meant, I meant like I'll have classes and then I go to my internship and then I'll do my homework. So the yeah. uh, internship is in, goes hand in hand. But um, to follow up question with that, um, should I be focused 
more on like studying for a section I'm already good at and basically trying to zero that one out or should I be working on a subject uh, or a section that I'm weaker on? Like, should I be focusing on like logic games more because it's uh, from what I hear, it's uh, more of a learn, uh, learning um, like step to uh, logical reasoning. Uh, I'm sorry, these questions are kind of weird, but like, is it, easy, is it easier to work on like logic games first as opposed to like logical reasoning or do you have an yeah, opinion on that? It, the, so the answer to that question is yes. Logic games is is the most learnable part of the test, and it just it just comes with practice, right? Um, so so that so that answer is yes, at least in my experience. Uh, to answer your other question, I think it's better to um, to hit the stuff that you're weaker on first, and then sort of manage the stuff you're still good at. You know, so if, if you right now, so say for example, you're you're really good at games, and you're you're consistently say right now, minus two, minus three, minus four on games, right? Still room for improvement, but you're pretty good. But then you're going minus 10, 12, 13, 14, 15 on reading comprehension. I say nip the reading comprehension stuff in the bud ASAP because it's going to take you the longest to improve on that. And at the same time, you can it's it's again they're not mutually exclusive, right? You can be working on games sort of at the you know, same time as you're working on reading comprehension, right? You can do, you know, an hour and a half of reading comprehension and then, you know, 30 minutes a game. You know, 30 minutes a game is probably two or three games, you know, plus their blind review, right? So I would say focus on the stuff you're weaker at because it's gonna that's gonna take more time to improve on. Uh, and manage the stuff you're you're good at to where it doesn't get rusty, if that makes sense. And then once you're at a spot to where you're you're pretty comfortable with all of the subjects. That's sort of what the prep tests I think are for, right? Then you can sort of put everything together. And as you're in the prep test, phase, you can then focus on, okay, I really need to then hit home game, you know, hone in on games. Cause I'm at reading, I'm at a point of reading comp is at least manageable. I'm at a point to where my logical reasoning is manageable. Now, while I'm prep testing, blind review should be, okay, how do I then put everything together and, and make that leap forward for the target score I want to get? Does that make sense? Perfect. Thank you for that answer. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, thank you, David. Um, just one, one uh, last thought, uh, Jack. Uh, you know, sometimes you are just up against a hard limit. You only have 24 hours in a day, and it yeah. is just impossible to squeeze more time in. If you're graduating early, um, that actually gives you uh, a time advantage. You could uh, take a year off to do something and study for the LSAT. You know, maybe that'll be a better balance for you and you, you won't start you'll and if you start law school at the age of 22 you'll still be like off, like um, below average in terms of uh, age for your incoming class so that is something to think about um, as well um, okay so next uh, we have I know we have a lot of questions I am keeping track of them all and I do want to get through all of them um, so next uh, Anjali is your mic working Yes. Hi, everyone. Hi. How you doing? Good, thanks. Um, I just wanted to ask if you could elaborate on applying to law schools twice and if you could talk about, did you apply to the same schools the second time around and also um, were you worried about rewriting a personal statement? Uh, yeah, so um, I did apply to uh, all of the same schools twice. Um, and so far, I've been readmitted to all of the schools I was admitted to last year. Uh, 
Um, and I have five remaining schools that have not made decisions yet, but they haven't made decisions for anybody yet other than ED, uh, early decision applicants. Um, so I don't feel like from an acceptance position, it hurt me to reapply simply because I had some, I had some pretty compelling reasons why I was reapplying. So, um, uh, for the most, so I decided to, to take the additional year and, and sort of expand my job. Right. I, I, I have a, a, a very nice job that I'm, I'm happy with. And had I gone to law school last year, I would have been at that position for just under a year. Whereas now I'm going to be, when I, when I attend law school this August, I'm going to have pretty close to two years experience. Right. And so from a professional standpoint, there's a lot more to sort of be leveraged there. I think from, from an interview perspective, um, during my 1L, 2L year when I'm looking for summer associate positions um, and my, uh, and, and maybe looking for a full-time position, my, my third, my, my third year. Um, there's also, you know, the financial aspect, you know, I, you know, the extra year financially, I could save more uh, to sort of, you know, decrease the, the financial burden law school is going to be. And then there was the, 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 you know, the emotional side, like I got engaged and, you know, that, you know, do, you know, we're going to have to think about how is my fiance's job going to work during this. So I, I had, I had a lot of sort of stuff going on and I felt like it was the right thing to do to sort of wait another year, apply when I had sort of, you know, um, uh, had a more robust resume, if you will. Um, be that as it may, I think one thing that was sort of the saving grace, why I've had as of right now, as much success, and, and, and again, I had a very successful cycle last year. So it was very hard to, to sort of turn down a lot of the schools and offers last year. But if you're gonna reapply, if you're thinking about reapplying, you have to, you sort of have to have a delta, right? You have to have a change, right? I, I think one thing that you don't want is you apply one year, you go, huh, I don't really like any of the offers. I don't like where I'm at. I'm just gonna apply next year. And you're you're not changed, right? There's nothing new about your new application. I think that's that's sort of a red flag, right? Because it, because it's all an ad com is going to do is look at it and go, well, we rejected you last year. You now reapplied this year. You don't have a new LSAT score. You don't have a new GPA. You don't have a, a any new interesting job experience. You're just the same applicant, right? It's you know that's not going to help you, right? So what I did was, yeah, I wrote I wrote a new personal statement. I wrote some addenda uh, that I that I didn't write the year prior that I think I should have in sort of hindsight. I uh, sort of redesigned sort of my resume to stress some things more than others and flush some things out more than others. Um, I uh, wrote, you know, more optional essays. So there was a really big change, you know, in my application from from this year to last year that sort of made me like, in my opinion, a fairly, you know, different candidate, um, which I think, you know, is for the better. Um, and yes, I did write a new personal statement. So I think if you're going to reapply, if you're thinking about reapplying at the bare minimum, you should definitely write a new personal statement. And I always think that that the personal statement just needs to, you know, it, it sort of needs to tell a story. And I think everyone is sort of, you know, full of interesting stories and interesting experiences. You just have to find the right one. And if you've already written one for for a previous cycle, you know, find a new story that tells the admissions committee something about yourself, like or something or a story about how you've grown as a person or an interesting experience that made you 
you know, look at the world, uh, you know, differently. And I, and I think everybody, you know, should be able to find, you know, a couple of those at some point in their life. And they don't need to be crazy sob stories or super dramatic. They need to be real, right? And it's better to be real than to sort of make up a, uh, make up a story like that, if that makes sense. Does that answer your question? Yes, awesome. I also just want to know how many years you've been out of college. Uh, this is my uh, third year. So I graduated undergrad in, uh, or excuse me, fourth year. I graduated undergrad in 14 and I got my master's in 15. And then I've been working close to two years right now. Great, thank you. Yep. Awesome. Um, Emily, I think you had asked a similar question. Uh, I hope David was able to address uh, address your question. Uh, if you have follow-up, please just type it into the chat. Um, next, uh, F-A asked, E-F-E, uh, are you still here and is your mic working? Hi, yes, my mic is working. Can you hear me? Yes, hi. Yes. All right, so I have a question concerning a retake. So I took the LSAT in December and I plan to retake in June and I'm just kind of confused on where to start from. I have been going through the curriculum recently and I don't know if that's the right um, approach to it or I should or should I just focus on uh, more prep tests. So that's my question. So so let me under so you took uh, you took the test in in June, right? You, no, you're just a little bit there if you if you don't mind repeating the, the question. Oh, sure. Uh, so I took uh, the LSAT in December and oh. I didn't get the score I wanted. So I plan to retake in June and I've been going through the curriculum and I was just wondering if that's the right approach to like a retake or should I just focus more on taking more prep tests and just like zeroing in on my weaknesses? Yeah. So the good thing is, um, is the June test is, is, is quite a, quite a ways away. Um, so I think I think one thing to do uh, is is reflect on where you are uh, with your with your your December score, right? I would say you know, so say your target score is a is a one seventy, right? And you you got your December score back, and if it's and if it's sort of, I think sub one sixty, right? I think starting with the curriculum is a is a pretty good spot. Right, because there's a lot of I think that would suggest there are a lot of fundamental right things that that can that you can improve on and take a look at your your score breakdown right the LSAC sends you um, you know uh, your your breakdown your responses versus the correct responses so you know what you know which questions you missed right and take those questions and see if there's similarities right do you find yourself man I I miss you know I missed three necessary assumption questions out of the five on the test or I uh, I missed the the in out game on this test, or um, I really struggle with reading comprehension. And I would say that's a really good place to start if you're if you're looking to start from a fundamentals aspect in the core curriculum. If not, right? If you know, say your target score is a 170 and you score a 168, right? Then I'd say you know probably your fundamentals are fine, right? And between now and June, really honing in on on taking prep tests and and figuring out, okay, what was it about the December test? What did I do that that prevented me from from scoring my target score? You know, that's something to really you know stress during you know stress and during blind review and and taking practice tests and and analyzing those and, and looking through your your blind review process. The nice thing is June is so far away, you can do a little bit of column A and a little bit of column B, right? You can 
you know, you can kind of go back to, you have enough time to kind of go back through the curriculum. You know, I think the curriculum uh, going, you know, at a healthy pace, you know, takes about probably six to eight weeks to go through, right? And that still puts you, you know, with plenty of time to prep test, right? So, you know, doing both is, is still an option. Um, so I think, I think to answer your question is it kind of depends on, on where you are, where you were in December relative to where your target score is and using your December take to then gauge on, okay, is it best to start with the curriculum or is it best to kind of continue with the prep tests? Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. Uh, so next we have uh, Jacob. Jacob asks, did you do any self-study before or after your course with 7 Sage? Also, why did you decide to go to grad school before law school? Oh, yeah. So uh, did I do any self-study prior to 7 Sage? Um, not really. Like I did, you know, I had the power score books and I had the Manhattan books. Um, to be perfectly honest, I didn't really get a whole lot out of them. Um, you know, I read them cover to cover, I think maybe twice, like that summer before I took the test. And I really struggled in it. And, and I don't know if it was the, the, the aspect of it just, I don't know really what wasn't clicking, you know, that was something that you know, I, I think seven, you know, seven stage to me just was a lot better, just fit my, my personality a lot more. Like I'm a very visual learner. So I like watching videos. I like listening to explanations, right. You know, sort of reading it. Sometimes I think some of the, some of the nuance and inflection is sort of lost on, on, you know, where you should stress certain things. Cause in sort of a book, everything is sort of, is sort of, you know, given equal weight. Whereas in a video, you know, you can kind of listen to sort of tone and attitude and stuff. And I don't know, that just sort of, that, that to me was a, a much more effective way to study. Um, and it was a lot more interactive, right? Because I could then in the comments section, you know, type out an explanation or type out a question, or I had the forums to then go and, and, uh, uh, and, and ask a question to somebody on the community. And you, you, know, you lose that, right? You don't have that option if it's just, you know, in a, in a just a, a power score book, right? It's, what's in the power score book and, and that's it. So it, it didn't really fit with, with what I was sort of looking for. Um, so the answer was technically yes, but to be honest, I don't think I got a lot out of it other than just the basic familiarity with, okay, there's this test called the LSAT. It has a game section, it has a logical reasoning section, and it has a reading comp section. But other than that, I didn't think I learned a whole lot from them. Um, uh, I also, during the seven stage curriculum, I, I did supplement, uh, uh, not supplement is not the right word, complement, I guess is better, uh, the, some of the curriculum with some outside reading. So I bought, um, I bought an introduction to logic textbook, um, which was very, it, it actually wasn't too dense, um, but it was, it was a pretty good book in that it, it formalized a lot of the ideas um that the LSAT tested and the arguments in the book were a lot more complicated than what you would see on the LSAT so I felt like if I could do the arguments in that book and and proof them out I felt like I could tackle anything the LSAT gave me um there was another book I bought called Informal Logic uh by Doug Walton and it was just like sort of a really interesting book that talked about why certain fallacies are fallacies and why how certain fallacies kind of be corrected in dialogue and it got me to really think about flaw types in a really interesting way. Um, and, and that was sort of what I used sort of on the side. You know, I say free time read because I would kind of spend my Sundays, my day off, 
you know, because I wouldn't want to watch the Chicago Bears lose. So I, I would read, you know, one of those two books for maybe 30 minutes or 45 minutes a day um, on a Sunday and and sort of just take note and, and approach things in a little bit more formalistic way. But really the uh, the seven stage curriculum was really the bulk, I think, more than sufficient for for ex explaining my my score increase and everything. Um, and what was the other question? Why did I get a grad hey, degree? Just, yeah, but just to jump in first, someone's asking what's the name of the first and second books that you read? Oh yeah, uh, the, the 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 textbook was called Introduction to Logic by Harry Gensler. Um, it's not really that long. Uh, it has some problem sets in it. You could probably buy it used for like ten bucks. Don't buy a new one. Don't. It's it's not worth it's not worth more than ten bucks. Uh, the second book was. Um, Informal Logic, a Pragmatic Approach by Douglas Walton. And same, you know, buy it used for $5, 10 bucks. I mean, it's, you know, don't, you don't need to spend 40 bucks on this thing. Um, but I thought those were by far, I, I read some other books as well. Those by both, those two by far were um, the most useful. Um, I, I read a book about um, the psychology of logic. I thought it was pretty garbage, but so I don't, don't buy that one. Um, and then I read a book, um, How to Solve It, A New Mathematical Approach, um, which was written by a Hungarian mathematician in like 1940. Um, and I, I really like math. I'm, I'm pretty good at math. And it sort of, again, approached logic in a mathematical sp uh, standpoint. And there's a chapter in the book just on arguments by analogy. And I think if you're, if you're using that book to help you study for the LSAT, I'd say that's the only valuable chapter in that book that's most relevant to the LSAT because it, it made me look at arguments by analogy in a totally different way. But again, I mean, I don't know if I'd recommend buying it or reading the whole thing, but definitely those first two books I think are, are, are pretty, pretty good. Um, if you're, if you're looking for a, a more formal, you know, more complicated, I guess, stuff than the LSAT's going to throw at you, but I don't think they're necessary, but they're interesting outside reading. Great. Um, uh, thanks, David. And okay, so the other question was, uh, yeah, why did you decide to go to grad school before law school, and and what did you and what did you study in grad school? I studied yeah, I studied tax. Uh, so I um, I'm a CPA, uh, and I needed my hours to be a licensed uh, CPA, and so my undergrad institution offers a one year Master's of Accounting program, um, and so I. Uh, stayed and did that so I could get my uh, the 150 credit hours to sit for the CPA test. And um, while I was in there, I, I focused my studies on on federal tax. Um, the I, I plan on studying tax law as of right now. That's sort of my ambition to study tax law in law school. And my understanding and talking with with people in the profession that the CPA and and the more business side of understanding how the tax code works is far more useful than, say, a tax LLM. So, I started. I decided to go that route as opposed to um, uh, as opposed to maybe the tax LLM route after law school, um, like at N like L like NYU's tax LLM is probably the best tax LLM in the country. Um, but uh, I decided to say, well, I don't know if I want to do that, but I'll, I'll stay at my undergrad. My undergrad institution's the top. 10 accounting program. So it's a very reputable accounting school. And I just was like, well, I'm already here. Uh, 
I was maybe planning on getting a tax LLM after after law school anyway. But since I'm already here, might as well do it. They wait. I didn't have to take the GMAT or anything, so I got auto accepted. And I'm like, yeah, why not? Another another year to watch uh, uh, our terrible football team. <laughs> okay, so um, this next question is something that you had touched upon earlier, but uh, and this comes from Emily, whose whose mic is not working. She says. So how did you have time to do all of the studying that you were describing when you're answering Tyler's question, your blind view process? Um, so how did you have time to yeah. do all of this? Were you, 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 if I recall correctly, you weren't working while you were studying, right? Yes, that's correct. I, so I, I was not working. So I, I took time off uh, to study, um, which I know is a, is a luxury that, that not a lot of people can do. Um, I was sort of lucky enough to be in a position where um, I had a family member that that had a that had a health issue, and so while she was recovering, I I moved in with her to to take care of her, and that you know that you know so I didn't have it so I was doing that, and then it just had I just had enough time to study for the LSAT. Um, I would say if you know you're working full time or again, it kind of goes back to, I think it was Jack's question. Um, uh, you know, spending, you know, budgeting out your day, like, you know, if you're working, if you're working full time, I'd say find a two hour chunk of time after work or some people, some people are morning people can do it, can do it before work. I am not one of those people. I have to get my sleep, you know, find a two hour chunk of your day and, and use that as your LSAT time or use an hour of your lunch or something like that, or 45 minutes of your lunch break. Um, you know, one, one thing that, that I sort of have had the, the luxury of doing is, is being a CPA is I see people studying for the CPA exam. And so one thing I've kind of been able to do in the, in the past year or so is, is, is look at, okay, how, how are my peers studying for their test, right? As they work full time. And, and most of them say, well, you know, I, I take out, you know, you know, a set of time out of my day during the week two hours. And I, that's, that's my CPA time. Right. You know, and, and I think that's analogous to say, okay, this is my LSAT time. And during the weekend, they, they hit it a little bit harder. Um, if you're, if you're working full time, I think you just have to be able to take your, your test probably during the weekend, because, you know, it takes about four hours to take a, a, a practice test. And, you know, a lot, you probably don't have that, that four hour chunk of time during the week. Right. So, you know, your Saturdays and Sundays are going to be your value, your valuable time. And then the Monday through maybe Friday is sort of your blind review time, right? Your Monday through Thursday, your blind review time. So, you know, my, when I was describing my, um, uh, my blind review schedule outside of Monday, when I was taking the, the actual full-time test, which was four hours, I would say I was studying no more than maybe three hours a day. Um, uh, kind of, kind of taking, a uh, a step back and thinking about it, you know, so I, I, you know, I think it would have been doable, um, with a full-time schedule, it would have been hard and it would have been, you know, tiring and frustrating, but I think it would have definitely been doable. Um, and I would have also utilized my weekends a little bit differently. So I would have maybe, you know, I would have taken that exam on a, on a Saturday instead of maybe the Monday and then used my, my, my weekdays for my blind review a, a little bit more, but, but yeah, I think my schedule is, is definitely, uh, uh, can be tweaked a little bit to fit a full-time schedule, uh, without, without that much compromise, if that makes sense. Yeah. Well, that definitely makes sense to me. Um, 
So on that note, uh, Rachel, you had you had mentioned something that I, I thought was really great. And uh, if you're still here, I like I would like for you to uh, tell everyone. Rachel said uh, in response to uh, managing time and finding the motivation to study, uh, she said, my biggest help is getting dressed, different clothes, even if it's in the middle of the day, and then going to a separate place with my phone on Do Not Disturb. It helps me a lot in getting in a different state of mind. Uh, I really like that. It's very practical. You know, it does yeah. nothing like earth shattering, but I think it, it's, it's small, but I think it really helps a lot. It makes a big difference. I, I love the flight mode. Some people, I don't, I don't think everyone knows that your phone has like a flight mode option. I love the flight mode option. It's you, like, you know, people got on just fine without cell phones forever, right? So now that you have a cell phone, you, you don't like, I, I, I just, I can't stand like just the constant buzz and the light and whatever. So I, I, I yeah. love putting my cell phone in flight mode. Um, and then you're in control, right? Like yeah. when you actually want to engage, you just unflight mode it and then a, you know, a torrent of like texts or whatever random unsolicited um... yeah it was in it, it's it's interesting because i'm gonna i'm gonna kind of take it back to the the cpa exam uh is because i think it's pretty analogous to the lsat in that respect too and and that I, I had a lot of my my classmates you know spend time before they they started their jobs to, to take and pass a cpa exam and I, and I found the ones that were really struggling with the CPA exam are the ones that would quote unquote, I studied four hours a day, but then you go study with them and, you know, they're checking their phone every five minutes. They're, you know, browsing the internet every you know, 15 minutes. And so maybe time wise from, you know, from when they entered the library to when they left is four hours, but the actual study time was probably, you know, 45 minutes. And you know, it was something I, I just kind of observed, like the correlation right there, but the correlation between, you know, the, the procrastination, right, of, of being on your phone or whatever. So when I was studying, you know, I would just keep, I would keep my phone right in the, in the other room or, or, or something like that. You know, I, I'd only have, I would have my laptop out when I was doing the, the, the timed exams only because I would just, use, I would use the seven stage proctor but I'd have my laptop like facing the other way on the other side of the room. So it's like, I couldn't even, even if I wanted to, I'd have to like totally get out of my chair and like go over and walk to it if I want, if I was going to procrastinate. And so it was a really good, um, uh, a really good, good way for me to like, just not sort of waste time on my phone or something. Like I'd, I'd have the TV off phone in the phone in the bedroom, laptop on the other side of the room. And I would just have the, the papers in front of me and, then when it was time to type out an explanation, I'd bring my laptop back over. Uh, I'd turn the internet off and I'd, you know, type out something on Microsoft Word and then copy paste it into into a comment at the at the end of it, sort of at the end of my day. And, and I felt like that was a, a that helped me really use my time very, very effectively. Yeah, that's great. Um, OK, so do you want to answer your anonymous question and then? Yeah, so I'll do the anonymous question. question. So, um, so this person is taking the, the exam in February. Uh, so I'm just kind of, I'm, I'm reading the question right now. So um, uh, this person is taking the exam in February and just starting to prep test this Saturday. Is this sufficient time? Um, I know it may vary person to person to do a prep test a week and blind review schedule and try to squeeze in question types throughout the day. Uh, this person also works full-time nine to five. So to answer this person's question, uh, whether, um, taking um 
an exam, taking the February test and, excuse me, just starting to take a prep test this Saturday, um, I'd say, is it sufficient? I mean, it, it could be, right? I mean, you, you it's going to be, you're going to sort of know the answer once you take that first exam, you know, and depending on what your practice score is, or excuse me, depending on what your target score is, excuse me. Um, you know, if, if your target score is a 170 and you take your first prep test and it's, you know, a 150, which is, you know, a very common uh, diagnostic score, you know, to go from a 150 to a 170 in just under two months, very hard to do. Not, you know, I'm not going to say it's not, it, it has been done before, but by very few people, right? So it's something to sort of evaluate, you know, expectations. And, and one sort of common theme of my webinar that I did a little bit over a year ago was a, hu a huge mistake in my early prep was not um, not being clear with my expectations, right? Because had I been objective about where I was prep testing and sort of where I was from a fundamental aspect of, did I just understand what it meant to weaken an argument? Did I just, did I understand what a necessary assumption was? Did I know what a grouping game was? Where I was, Right, I, I thought I did. I was like, yeah, of course I do. I'm gonna go in there and, 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 and score a 172, like no one's business and, and that's gonna be the end of it. But had I, had I taken a step back and looked at the data, looked at my prep test, looked at the things I was actually struggling on, struggling with, I should have been able to see like, actually, no, I wasn't, you know? And it shouldn't, I should not have been surprised that I, that I scored, you know, nine, 10 points lower than I thought was my potential. Right, the first time I took the took the LSAT, and that was after um, studying for most of that summer. You know, I, I really started hitting the books hard that June to take the September test. So that was June, July, August, um, the September test at the end of September. That was that was three and a half, four four months of study, right? That you know I made zero improvement because I was kind of doing it the the wrong the sort of wrong way. Um, so you got to be honest with yourself if the to sort of know the answer to that question whether it's sufficient or not. Um, but if you're going to be taking the February test, right, chances are you're not going to be applying to law school until the next cycle anyway, right, this uh, uh, next year. I mean, the June test, you know, is still an option, right? The September test is still an option. The December test are still options. And I want to say the LSAC is, Hi. yeah, and so, and so um, if, uh, you know, if those are options for you, you know, don't, don't feel like you have to rush into it with, with the February test, you know. Um, I even think I think the LSAC. I, um, I I don't know when they're starting to, when they're going to start offering the um, the more testing windows. I don't know if it's this year or the following year, but you know, don't feel like you need to lock yourself into February when when June, September, and, and December are are very real and very very good options still for the following cycle because you're most likely going to be applying to that cycle anyway. So I hope that I hope that answered answered uh, your question. Um, Great, thanks, David. Um, yeah. So, Matthew, uh, you asked the question some time ago. Uh, do you think the modern tests and those in PT 70s through 80s are different or harder than the ones pre-70? I feel like the LR sections in general are much harder. Any thoughts on this idea? Maybe it's not true. I'm just hitting fatigue. And related to that, uh, Janice said, uh, did you, Janice asked, did you take all the prep tests before June 2016? Um, if not, how many did you take and which prep test number did you start with? Yeah, so I'll, I'll, I get, I'll start with the latter question. Uh, uh, so I took a lot. I took, 
I'm going to say 40 something, 50 something. Uh, and I started with the June 2007 test um, as my diagnostic, quote unquote diagnostic. I didn't really take a diagnostic because I had sort of studied before I, a little bit before I took it. Um, but uh, yeah, I took um, pretty much, let me see the June 20, June 2007 test. And I took prep test 35 all the way through like 75 or six or whatever it was um, with maybe one or two tests that I sort of out of my very few that I had uh, that were fresh, I think I saved a, a one or two of them just in case I wanted to retake in, in September. But yeah, I took, um, so what would that been? That, that would have been like around 40. Yeah, I'd say 40 or 50. Um, and that's not even including retakes because I retook a huge chunk of those too. So maybe even more when you, when you count the just uh, uh, total number of times I sat down and took a, a five section exam. Um, uh, so yeah, so a lot. Um, to answer the other question, uh, whether I think the, the, the 70s and 80s are, are harder, I don't think they're harder, but I think they're different. Um, and I think they're different for just sort of employee turnover reasons. I mean, just the person who, a person who is writing test questions for the LSAC in 1991 probably isn't there anymore, right? You know, so, so people get new jobs, they get new editors, they get new psychometricians. So I, I think there's definitely, you know, an element of the test that's dependent on who's there working at the LSAC right now. Um, but are they harder? No, I, I don't think they're harder. Um, you know, certainly the games I think are the most, I should, maybe the easiest section to see how it's a little bit different because there's the, there's the rule substitution question that, that just crept it, that crept its way in from, I think it was like 65 or 67 or whenever that question started. Um, and as well as sort of the, the propensity for more modern tests to occasionally throw in kind of a wonky game. But at the end of the day, they're still testing the same types of inferences, right? They're just, they're just asking it and they're, and they're presenting the game board in, in just a different manner. But they're the same kinds of things that the LSAT has always tested. Um, when it comes to logical reasoning, you know, yeah, has there been a little bit more of a, um, uh, uh, sort of blurriness between, you know, what is a sufficient assumption and what is a necessary assumption? I think so a little bit. I think a lot on a lot more recent tests, you find the answers to necessary assumption questions, I think tend to be closer to the sufficient side than necessary, but, you know, um, they're still necessary, right? You know, so it just is a little bit, you know, tweaking your, your, your sort of mindset to approaching you know, some sections to sort of know that and sort of knowing the patterns. But at the end of the day, they're a little bit different, but I wouldn't say they're harder. Yeah, I, I agree with that. too. I don't think they're harder. Yeah. Uh, plus, they're all, you know, it's a it's just oh, yeah, all the gutted. Anyway, they so. analyze. Yeah, they analyze every word yeah. of those tests. And, and they, they also have, you know, a mechanism to, to challenge questions. And I, I don't know if you I don't know if anyone has ever written to the LSAC about challenging a question, they send you a freaking book back about why you're wrong and they're right. Uh, so they, they, you know, maybe it's confirmation bias, right? Maybe it's also, oh my God, guys, we can't admit that we're wrong on this question. So we're just going to throw in the kitchen sink on our explanation. But they, they present, I, I think that, I think it's a re I think it's a, it's a pretty amazing quality I think it's kind of amazing how uh, the test for 
for so long from, I think prep test one is like the June 1991 exam, right? Just to put that in perspective, the Soviet Union still existed in June 1991, you know, and from then to now, right? It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very consistent test. Um, and I think that's, that's kind of an amazing feat, like when I kind of sit back and think about it yeah. for how long the test has been, been around. Yeah, I agree, especially with the level of rigor yeah um, the questions yeah okay so uh we have just about five minutes left uh for this ama slash q a and uh, i think we have two questions um nicholas asked how do you identify the questions you should skip um i i, yeah. I, I suppose yeah. maybe take this for lr yeah um so the questions i should skip i should skip for lr um uh Pretty much it was the my one minute standard. Uh, so I would, uh, uh, the, the my sort of reading speed was for an average LR question, I could read the, the paragraph of information and then all five answer choices. And, and pretty consistently, that was a minute of my time. And if I found that by answer choice E, I wasn't confident enough to put an answer down, I would skip it. Um, and that was that was my that was my strategy. Uh, so what that sort of did was, uh, I got eyes on every single question in 25 minutes. Didn't mean I answered every question in 25 minutes because I was skipping questions still, but I had eyes on every question in 25 minutes, and I would spend the remaining 10 minutes um, going back to the ones I skipped. Right, uh, and that was a pretty comforting strategy. You know, it, it probably it sounds kind of daunting and kind of scary, like oh my god, 25 questions, 25 minutes. But I'm not a, I'm not a particularly fast reader. Um, and the, 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 the comforting thought was it didn't matter, right? I was not going to run out of time, right? Because in, if putting eyes on 25 questions in 25 minutes meant that you're going to, by definition, have 10 minutes to look at the questions you skipped, right? And so I would much rather, if I'm going to run out of time, I'm going to run out of time on a question that I skipped and have a higher chance of missing than I'm spending all of this time up front and all of a sudden the five minute mark is called and I'm on question 21 and I have to rush through the final five questions or final four questions and miss three of them. And I maybe should have gotten those right. I'd, I'd much rather miss um, three questions that I tried and just couldn't figure out as opposed to missing maybe four questions that I just didn't have enough time to even give them a shot. Right. Yeah. You know, so I always thought the probabilities worked out on that by having a really rigorous timing strategy. Right. Or something like that. Yeah. Plus, you, you're, you're in control. You get to choose which questions you want to miss versus exactly. the, the exactly. test. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we have uh, accounts, accounts fan number one. Hey, how's it going? Hi. <laughs> I like the name. Hey. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, hey, this is George, by the way, JY. Accounts. How you doing, George? <laughs> pretty good, pretty good. Yeah, so basically, um, I have to think I have a full offer from UCLA coming through. Um, and I'm wondering, since I want to become a plaintiff's attorney and uh, work as a trial lawyer, how free is it better to try to shoot the T14, like probably a sticker or a very little scholarship, or to try to go for UCLA, uh, a full tuition scholarship? Like, what's your view on that? What are your thoughts, both of you, actually? So my so my my viewpoint on the sorry uh, before you, before you guys started I just want to make sure everyone heard that question the uh, um, the question was uh, sticker on T14 or 
uh, sticker or close to sticker on T T14 or um, something like full scholarship on UCLA. To, right? that's, yeah. So, so let's say, let's lump like UCLA, Texas, Austin, WashU, like the sort of, you know, 16 to, to 13 or 16 to 15 kind of rank schools together um, versus say a sticker or close to sticker at, at top 14. Um, one nice thing about the top 14, and I'm sure this is also true of, of not top 14 schools, is they have pretty generous uh, loan repayment assistance programs, right? So, you know, I think it's like most of them, if you're, if you're not making, you know, $100,000 a year for XYZ number of years after law school, which, you know, a defense attorney, you know, for, for, you know, for not very good reasons, you know, most likely aren't making that uh, if you're, if you're sort of a, a, you know, a government defense attorney or something, um, schools will help you out there, right? Um, so, you know, kind of food for thought on, on that issue, if you're, if you're public interest minded or, or, or sort of defense attorney or, or sort of low, uh, paying government jobs, but that's what you want to do. Um, but if your end goal is, is say a big law job, um, and your trade-off is between say a sticker at a top 14 school versus a full ride to UCLA. I mean, it, it, again, it, could, it depends on, do you have ties to UCLA? Do you have ties to the California market? You know, can you, do you network in the California market? My opinion is I would, I would lean more towards the sticker at the, at the, at the top 14 school simply because it gives you a lot of flexibility market-wise. And I think that's valuable. Um, and I think that, you know, that value is, is something worthwhile because you know something like washu that places very very well in the st louis market but that's about it it places semi-decently in illinois and kind of semi-decently throughout the rest of the uh uh kansas market or the missouri markets you know you're kind of locked down to that region and if and if that's where you want to work and practice and raise a family then yeah it's it's hard to say that washu at, at, at uh, uh full tuition is not your best option, right? It probably is. But if you're like, well, you know, I kind of want the freedom, the flexibility to, to make lateral moves in big markets. I think having a top 14 job is, is something that, or excuse me, having a top 14 degree, even at sticker is, is worthwhile. And if you're working a big law job in a, uh, in a big market, you're going to get paid a lot of money, you know, and uh, you're going to be, you're going to have the liquidity in the funds if, if managed correctly to pay it off. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're making loan payments, but, um, I think the aversion to debt is something I find really interesting because when you go to like top law school forums, you, you, it's, there's such a debt averse mindset. And I think that's prudent. And I think it's frugal, which is, you know, I'm an accountant, right? I'm a, by definition, a frugal guy, but there's a, there's a big bias to the kinds of people that are on top law school forums. The people on top law school forum are are people that are applying to law school, so they don't actually have law school student loans yet, or they're in the middle, or they're actually in law school right now. Very, or they're they're, they're recent graduates, like maybe a few years out. Go, you know, find talk to people who are maybe a few years out if you can, and talk about their debt load and how they manage it. But also find the people who are 15, 20, 30 years out of law school. And ask them how they manage their debt load. So I think you're going to find 
the answer, you're going to find the recent graduates much more pessimistic on the debt load because they're paying their debt off right now. And they're like, oh my God, this sucks. So much of my paycheck is going to taxes and uh, law school debt. And I'm living in New York City or Washington, D.C., two of the most expensive places on the planet. This sucks. But if you talk to, you know, a person 15, 20 years from now who's made lateral moves, who's maybe moved up to partner, who has maybe switched jobs a few times, has paid off their law school debt, I think you're going to find the person of that like that is going to say, yeah, I think going to a top 13 school, even at sticker, was a really was a really wise option for for their career, despite um, the debt load. Now, you know, the, the question of what about sticker price at a non top 14 school, then you got to really think about the regionality of the market and stuff. But if the but in our example, UCLA full ride versus a say Cornell at sticker. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I think the Cornell degree gives you a lot more flexibility um, uh, to, to pay that off or excuse me, to, a lot of flexibility market wise. And I don't think you're going to have a huge time paying it off if you're big law focused. And if you're more public interest focused, it has a very, very good LRAP program that, you know, you can take advantage of. If that makes sense. Yeah, I, I agree with what you're saying. I, I, I guess I'll just emphasize um, looking into uh, loan repayment programs that the different schools offer, uh, different schools offer, different T14 schools offer, um, depending on which ones you get into. Uh, I hope you get into all of them, um, in which case you'll have a ton of research to do. But for the ones that you get into, you, I, I'd highly encourage you to look um, in close detail at their loan repayment programs because they are very different. Okay, some of them are incredibly lenient. It tends to, there there's tends to be a correlation. The higher ranked school you are, the better your uh, loan repayment, the more lenient the loan repayment program is, right? So it's it's kind of like yeah. a winner take all situation. Like if you win, you really win. Um, but um, but yeah, and also the uh, their employment statistics really dig into the employment statistics. I think those are the two factors that um, depending on how you how you turn the dial on those factors that you know the outcome will, will differ uh but yeah every every i think everything david said was right um and i hope that answers your question uh i had one one quick follow-up to the to the private question about um uh that i can address real quick uh that the lsac taking away the the cap right that the two takes in three years yes the the cap is gone I believe that's effective now, right? Yeah, it's, it's now three takes in two yeah. years, and it's it's been effective for two administrations, I think. Yeah, so so the old cap was three takes in two years, and so now it's unlimited, right? You can take the test in a limited number of times, yeah. um, in any in an, any number of period of times. Um, but it would be that as it may, I, I think um, I, I think there's still, um, you know, for better or for worse, I, I think once you're into the the fourth, fifth take, I, you know, then you're getting into, you probably need to write an addendum and kind of explain that, but uh, um, it shouldn't, you know, affect you. They sh I mean, for, for, you know, just pure incentive wise, you know, for rankings and everything, only the highest score matters. Um, but I, I think there's a, a sort of a psychology of, well, when you're taking the test four or five, six times, you know, that's, that might be frowned upon, but, you know, this is sort of the first, you know, year that, 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 the, that the window, uh, the limited, the limited testing window doesn't exist anymore. So we'll kind of see what schools actually do. Yeah. Um, you know, like NYU, for example, 
I'll just, I'll, I'll, I'll do a shout out to them. Uh, on their website, they're like, hey, we average scores and, you know, you need to write an addendum uh, unless you, and if you don't, we're going to average your score. I, case 101, did not write an addendum and got accepted to NYU. And my average score was, would not have been, uh, I think would have been under their 25th percentile. So they didn't do that for me. So, you know, I, I think it, I think it, it I think it's, it, it's a case in point of actions speak louder than words, you know, so um, they have every incentive to take their high, the highest score, no matter how many times you take it, but you know, food for thought. Yeah. Yeah. I think we just have to wait and see what the schools do. I, I'm skeptical that they, despite what they say, uh, which is kind of just a, like just a signal to, to the applicants, but what they, what they actually do is uh, yeah. determined by, you know, I think a lot driven by U.S. News and what the ABA, yeah. what they have to report Absolutely. to the ABA. Um, so, you know, unless one of those two organizations changes how they view the LSAT in admissions, I, I, I'm not sure why the schools would uh, change what they're doing. Yeah, they have, yeah, they have, they have no reason to care, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, if the, if the rank, you know, at one point the rankings, at, at one point, the schools cared about multiple takes because the rankings averaged the schools, right? Yeah. So, and so you saw, right, schools reflect that in, in, in because the rankings average scores, the law schools average scores. And then in, in like 2007 or 2008 or whenever it was, when the uh, U.S. News was like, we don't care about average scores, you saw the schools reply in kind, right? Okay, we don't care about average scores anymore. So very much so the... The, just the actions of the schools reflect that, yeah, they're very ranking conscious. And, you know, if they have a, you know, think, you know, think about the most extreme scenario. They have a, a person that's, that's a, say, a, a 180 LSAT. Say they took the test one time and got a 126 and then took the test the second time and got a 180. They're not going to care about that 126 at all, right? Yeah. You know, and, you know that, that's an extreme example that I doubt has ever happened in the history of the test. <laughs> but it, uh you know, I think it's even, I think it's true even for more modest score drums. Like I think right. a, you know, a 160, a 160 versus a 175. Yeah. The 175 puts you at 70. I think that's the 75th percentile. Every, everywhere, yeah. I think. At every, at every law school, right. They're, they're not going to care. They have no reason to care about that 160 because from a, from a ranking standpoint, you're hitting their 75th percentile. Doesn't matter. Right. Doesn't matter what your, what your average is. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, great. Um, thanks so much for your time, David, and everyone else who's here as well. Thank you so much. Um, so before, David, I'll let you go. Uh, uh, will you will you let people know how to get in touch with you if they want? Yeah, so for sure. So um, again, I'm accounts playable on the Seven Sage forums. Uh, and if you want to get in touch with me, shoot me a message in my inbox. I check my Seven Sage inbox a couple times a day. I think that's the most efficient way to get in touch with me. And uh, uh, if you didn't ask a question uh, today, or if for some reason we didn't answer your question, shoot the question to me, and I'll be—I'll be—I'm more than happy to answer. I'm a pretty approachable guy. I—I I, want to answer everyone's questions and and, and everything. So, um, if for whatever reason uh, we didn't get to your question, or if just say five minutes after the call's ended, you just come up with a question, and you're like, "Man, I wish I asked it." Shoot me a message on on the inbox uh, on Seven Sage again. I'm accounts playable. And I'll, I'll try to get back to you within a day or so. Um, you know, I, I can't stress enough how, how much the Seven Sage just community and the course were in the course and 
and JY and, and everybody here really, really helped me through my, my LSAT journey. And it's, it's quite an, it's quite an amazing, quite an amazing company and quite an amazing website and take advantage of it, right? Take advantage of every resource you have, just the, the community, the blind review calls, the, uh, the videos, the core curriculum, me, the other sages that are, that do a fantastic job. Um, there's a lot of really, really good stuff on here that, that is just, you know, perfect for anyone at any stage in their prep to, uh, to improve their score. So, um, with that, I'm going to give it back to JY, but, but really excellent questions today. And, um, and I wish everyone the best of luck with, uh, with their LSAT journey and, and prep going forward. Well, thank, back thanks to you, so Jim. much. Thanks so much, David. And you, you've certainly given back a lot. Um, if you guys haven't seen, uh, David's other webinar, just go to the webinar section and you'll, you'll find it. Um, and David, you have to let us know, uh, in a, in a few months, um, what, which schools you've gotten into, what, what you, what you'll decide which one you'll decide to Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'll keep everybody updated on that. Uh, I'll probably make a post uh, uh, in the forum uh, in a few months once I once I once I make a decision and 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 hear back. But uh, um, but right now I'm 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 very happy. I'm very happy with with uh, my acceptances and everything so far this cycle. So I think it's I, I'm I'm optimistic. Um, and again, just to kind of reiterate the seven stage stuff, you know. When I first started studying for the LSAT, I was like, you know, I would have been happy to go, I would have been happy with um, sort of my, my alma mater law school, which was a great law school. But then once I, you know, found the seven stage side and did research on, on just law school admissions, I'm like, you know, there's every opportunity to sort of improve if you, if you sort of study the right way. And my webinar, you know, that I did uh, a year ago from this October, you know, really focuses on, all right, how to study the right way for the LSAT. So if you're just starting your LSAT sort of journey, or even if you're well, well in it, I think it's worthwhile to watch just to, just for, for, for general tips. You know, I, I spend a lot of the webinar going through just mistakes I made and like how to, you know, if I were to do it again, just like how would I do things differently? And I think it's, I think it's valuable for a lot of reasons. Um, but, but that might be the most important one. So, if you haven't watched it already, I, I really much encourage people to watch it because it's it's uh, um, it's just sort of my journey and and bumps and 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 things I would have done differently and things that worked and things that different didn't work and considerations to have uh, uh, for your prep. So I think that only I think that answers is a good sort of additional information for a lot of questions that were asked today. Um, really good, like further information, like more detailed uh, for a lot of those questions. So. Um, just kind of food for thought. Uh, if you have extra time and want to watch a webinar or something. Well, thank you so much, David. Yep. Awesome. Thanks, JY. Thanks for setting this up. Yeah. And uh, look forward to hearing, hearing more from you. Yeah, for sure. We'll keep in touch. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. See you. Hi there. JY from the present. Uh, first, I just want to thank you for listening to our uh, conversation. I hope you found it helpful and a good use of your time. If you have any comments or suggestions or ideas, please, please, please tell us. We are all ears. You can email us at podcast at sevensage.com. I really want to make this work. And in order to do that, I need your help. So please don't hold back. Tell me what you think. Thank you again.